Uh, welcome. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to be with you this morning. I um, real quick want to let you know that we're starting this week a place where you can get uh, asked sermon questions and get them answered, all right? So I've been thinking about how I would love, um, obviously I have limited time, and there's a lot of different questions that come up. I try to think about some of them to say, well, if I say this, what will that make everyone, you know, what will you think after that? What's the question with that or, or what, you know? And I try to do my best, but I have a limited amount of time, and I really wanted to make these times more helpful. And so if you have questions that come up during your mind during the sermon and I don't address them, or you have things, even last week, you know, it's like Abraham and Isaac. It's like, why would God ask him to do that? We, we touched on it a little bit, but I'm sure you had a lot more questions. And so anyways, I want to help you with that. So every Thursday at 12 o'clock, during your lunch break, we'll have an Instagram Live for like 20 minutes, and you can jump on and ask questions. Now, it will be better. We have a, on the newsletter, so you need to be on the newsletter. Uh, there will be a contact form or a question form available to you. You can fill out a question. If I have your question by Wednesday night, I will give a better answer Thursday than if you ask me spontaneously on Thursday, okay? I'm glad you think I can answer you well. I'll give you my best shot if you ask me a spontaneous question. But if you give me a little time to think about it, I can not only use my brain, but lots of people's brains, all right? And that would be better than one brain. So uh, I would love to help you um, just answer questions. It could be confusing questions, like why would God do this or that? It could be just more application questions. Well, how do I live this out? What does that look like in my daily life? Could be clarity questions. That didn't make sense. Uh, can you please explain it better than you did the first time? And I say, okay, I'll, I'll try. So anyways, that's Thursdays, 12 o'clock, Instagram Live. Uh, please join us there, and I'd love to take you uh, even farther into understanding what the Bible is saying. So fill out those questions. There's a link tree on Instagram as well with the question form. That'll be every week from here on out. Next week, we'll have a QR code actually on the screen. So if you have a question mid-sermon, you're like, oh, I mean, let me take the QR code. You can send it in, write it down. Uh, we would love to, we'd love to help you with that. Now, if you don't have Instagram, I don't recommend downloading Instagram just for the live time because then you'll lose three hours of your day every day because uh, right now you're avoiding wasting time, which is so good for you, and I don't want you to download Instagram just to spend 20 minutes with me on Thursday and then waste three hours of your day Thursday night scrolling before you go to bed. So if you have avoided Instagram so far, we'll put the, the answer time up on YouTube later, all right, and you can check that out, all right? So uh, I don't, I don't want to tempt you into sin if you haven't yet. If you're already on Instagram, and wasting time, come join me at 12 o'clock Thursdays, which all of you are anyways, okay? There's like two of you that don't have Instagram. All right, so uh, how many of you hate driving in D.C. like I do, in the city? Yeah, you just hate it with all your heart. I just hate it so much. All right, I'm from Alabama, and uh, it's just nothing like that. The first time I ever drove in D.C., I ran through every red light possible because I'm used to the common sense way you put the red lights in front of you. Like on the, you know, the hang right in front of you. And D.C., there are all these little tiny things on the side. You think, how dangerous is that? You have to look to the side every time you're trying to assess whether the light is red or green. This is a problem. Well, a worse problem than that is, I don't know how many of you guys do this. I make a lot of wrong turns in D.C., even with maps, even with my maps. The problem is, is that when I'm looking at the map, I don't know how many of you have experienced this with me. I can't quite tell if I should veer right or not. It's a little confusing, or veer left, or like, does the road, number one, I don't know the names of any of the roads, so if it tells me to get on a certain road, unless it's like Constitution Ave, I have no idea, and so I, I don't know. Secondly, you know how maps sometimes will do a countdown, even though you're not supposed to turn? So it's like 400 feet, 300 feet, 200 feet, stay straight. 
You're like, what were we counting down to? This is really confusing to me. You got me real nervous. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. And sometimes the countdown thing will go in line with a veer, you know, and, but the veer is actually a, a straight shot. It's just like there's one loop you can take and another loop you can tape, and they're like this far apart from each other, and I'm like, I don't know which one it is. I don't know. And I just guess, and I end up guessing wrong more than half the time probably, and I get lost and real upset. Now, one time this mattered more than others was I was driving to a speaking engagement in D.C., which is a great place to share the gospel, but a terrible place to go. And so I was, I was driving around, you know, D.C., and I, I was there, and I, I had like a little bit of time, okay? I was cutting it short. Surprise, surprise, I wasn't necessarily going to be early. And so I, I was cutting it short, but I had gotten close enough. It said I was four minutes away. It was at a hotel in downtown, four minutes away. And then I get to that point. There's a fork in the road of, should I turn this way or that way? And I'm very confused, I'm flustered, I can't tell what the maps are saying. So I just take a turn, and a s- 10 seconds after my turn, my maps, instead of the ETA being four minutes away, it changed to 24 minutes away. Oh, I hate this place so much, I was so mad. And you know, the reason was, is because when I made the wrong turn, I got onto Rock Creek Parkway, which there was no exit off of for a while, and it was red traffic. So I had just turned myself, unnecessarily into red traffic with no exit for, you know, a mile at least. And I just had to sit there and wait till I could turn around. Now, the Lord is very gracious and kind. When I got to the hotel, I literally, I had a suit on. So it was like one of those type of things, you know. And I don't wear suits very much. And I had a suit on and I was running. I was running into the hotel like a, like a doofus, just running in. And I run all the way up, you know, like conference hotel stuff. It's a hallway and the conference doors are like open. There's people sitting on tables with the stage at the front. And so you can walk in at the back, you know, nobody can see you yet. And I'm like running in all the way up to the door, you know. <laughs> and, and I literally, as I'm stepping over the doorway, I hear, and let's invite our pastor, Nathan Crew, up to the stage. And I'm like, Hi. yeah, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to like just calm my breath and act like I didn't just frantically get here. Uh, but God was gracious. I made it just in the nick of time. Uh, but this is the, the problem with our life. Is it's like our experience in D.C. We often don't know if we should go left or right, and the directions sometimes aren't very clear. And so we get frustrated, anxious, worried. We take wrong turns. The wrong turns in our life end up making us go backwards, you know, for years. It takes us back to the wrong place. And we often don't know which way is the right way. And it makes life very difficult. There are so many, as we call them, forks in the road. It's not just one big fork in the road. There's a lot of different forks in the road of our lives. What I want you to understand today as we study the scriptures is that though it may be unclear sometimes in, our, in ourselves or the directions of the world may unclear, be unclear, Jesus is never unclear. And if you follow the roadmap Jesus sets out for you, you will go the right direction. And here's, what, well, here's why faith is important, is that at the fork in the road of your life, it is your faith that determines your fate. At the forks in the road of your life, it is your faith that determines your fate. It is your faith in who you believe and which route you should take that will determine the outcomes of your life. There are significant decisions you are making on a daily basis that are determining the outcomes of your life. Some of them feel like big forks in the road, some of them do not. But either way, you're making decisions every day to go this direction or that direction, to choose this way or that way. And I want you to see how faith is the primary factor in determining your good decision making. So open your Bible to Hebrews 11. Let's go. We're going to hear from the Lord. I'm going to read verses 23 through 31. 
We're going to see some examples this morning. So by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, and here's a great phrase, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. We'll stop there. What we're seeing today, the the unifying factor of all these stories is that every single character is at a fork in the road. Every single example we see, they're making a choice to go this way or that way, to turn backwards or to go forwards to obey earthly authority or to obey heavenly authority, to join with God's people or to continue on with the world's people, to pursue the pleasures of the world or to pursue the reward of God, to continue in their old ways or to decide to start a new direction, to live by the wisdom of God or to live by the wisdom of man. They are making decisions that are determining the outcomes of their lives, just like us. This is why the Bible is so relatable to us. These are all examples from the Old Testament, stories of how God's people followed him in the midst of difficult decisions. They each stood at the fork in the road of their life. But what I want you to understand, and this is all important, is that the direction of their next step was not made in light of what would immediately come next, but in light of how it would impact forever. Their faith allowed them to see beyond their current circumstances and to choose the path that led towards the best destination, even if it didn't look like the best path. Here's what I want you to understand, is that faith looks at the destination more than the path. Faith sees the destination and then makes decisions about the path, even if the path to get there looks hard and difficult. Faith sees beyond the immediate results of a decision and looks towards their long-lasting impact. Imagine faith like a pair of binoculars. It allows you to see beyond your current circumstances, beyond your current reality, and to see something farther out ahead. And that foresight enables you to make certain decisions to say, if I go this way or that way, I know where it is taking me, even if I don't understand it in the beginning. I mean... The basic principle is something we understand. It's the principle of delayed gratification. It's the principle of delayed gratification that oftentimes the things that look good in the beginning turn out to be bad in the end. And often the sacrifices we make in the beginning turn out to be the best choices in the end. But you need faith as the binoculars of your life to see the destination so that you can make decisions about the path to take. Because here's how life works sometimes, that good decisions have good endings, even if they start with bad beginnings. I'll say it again. Good decisions have good endings, even if they start with bad beginnings. But sometimes, because of our hesitance to do the bad beginning, we don't get the good ending. Or in our avoidance of the bad beginning, we don't press on towards the good ending. Or sometimes, because of the appealing of a better beginning, 
leaves us unaware of the fact that this will have a bad ending. And therefore, we make bad decisions. Faith gives you the foresight so that you can go towards the right destination regardless of what the path looks like to get there. So instead of making decisions based off the path, you make decisions based off the destination. And that changes everything about your decision making. And it leads you to have good outcomes, not only in this life, but most importantly, for eternity. And so we're gonna look at how this plays itself out in all these different examples. Stories from the Old Testament about how people lived by faith. So we're gonna look at each one. We're gonna see what the fork in the road was for their life, how that relates to us, and what does it look like for us to do what they did. So the first one is Moses' parents. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So let me give you a little context. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they're the people of God. They are currently enslaved, currently as in when we're reading this, not right this second, they're currently enslaved to the Egyptians. The Egyptians are the biggest, baddest nation around at the time, and the Israelites are their slaves. The Israelites were growing in number, so the pharaoh of Egypt, which is like the king, the president, decides to uh, do something about it because he's afraid if they grow in too big of a number, they can eventually uh, fight back and do some kind of mutiny. So his rule goes out. The edict is all baby boys born to Israelite women have to die. And the rule was that they had to be thrown into the river. And so now they have an edict from man that is obviously in complete opposition to an edict from heaven, which says you ought not to do that. And not only that, but they see Moses, and it says they saw that he was beautiful, which I think is just to say that there, there was some sort of revelation that there was a distinct purpose for Moses' life. And so now they have to make a decision. And their decision is going to determine the outcome of a lot of things. Fear would tell them to obey earthly authority, but faith gives them a different perspective. Faith allows them to disobey earthly authority for the sake of obeying heavenly authority. Faith allowed them to see beyond the risk of the moment to see the outcomes for the future, to see the possibilities of what Moses could do rather than the possibilities of what could happen to them. Faith gave them an idea of the destination which made them willing to take a certain path. And we often encounter those as well, a fork in the road to obey man or to obey God to please men or to please God, to go with the peer pressure or to take the route of God. Now, I wanna give you a, an example, a visual aid for this this morning, all right? So I think this is so important for you to understand that I made something with a little kindergarten project last night in my house. My wife can know. I was, she was sitting on the couch with me. I was watching college football after my great Roll Tide won a great big victory. And... Uh, I was watching college football because the NFL is boring. So I was watching college football. And I, I was uh, doing this last night. And I thought, man, I really want you guys to like see what I'm saying. And so this is a kindergarten project. Now, uh, either way, the benefit is you're gonna remember it. So whether it looks dumb or not, doesn't matter because the point is for you to remember it. So you might say, that was the silliest looking thing my first grader could have done it. Yeah, they probably could have, but you're gonna remember it. All right, so here's the idea. Here's what I want you to understand. If we can get that, yeah, there we go. All right, this represents a couple of things. One would be the end. This is your earthly life, short. This is your eternal life. It just goes on forever and ever. Now, it also represents the ceiling or the cap on an experience. So every experience 
or thing in life not only has an, an earthly cap, like it can only last so long, but it also has an experiential cap. So like it only does something for you for so long, and then eventually that goes away, and you have to consider what the consequences will be. And so most of us make our life decisions in light of this area instead of this one. Faith allows you to see beyond the short-sightedness of what's next and to the long-term results of the decision. That's what faith does. Faith allows you to see beyond this barrier. And so let's see Moses' example, or Moses' parents. So Moses' parents had to obey man or God. What does faith do? Faith allows them to understand the choice at the fork in the road is between, there's only two options, a short time of rejection, right here, followed by a long time of approval, or they could choose a short time of approval, the pleasure of man, that followed by a long time of rejection. So when you look at obeying earthly authority, when it's improper, obviously there's lots of good reasons the Bible says we should obey lots of earthly authority, all right? But when it goes against God's way, to say faith tells you that if I suffer a little bit of rejection, the results to me are a long-term approval. So therefore I can take the path of rejection because it leads to my best interest over the long run. If I can suffer the rejection of my friends, the peer pressure for not doing the things they do, I receive in return the long-term approval of God. Not that I earned it, so to speak, because God loves me because of the gospel, but now I enjoy that because of the decision that I'm being made. But I could also receive the short-term approval of men, but the consequence of receiving the short-term approval of men is to endure the long-term rejection of God. And so now they see the trade-off. Now, like I said, this has eternal realities and temporary realities. So a Christian, if you're in Christ, cannot live in the long-term rejection of God because of Jesus. But what can happen is on a short-term earthly experience, when we make decisions for the approval of men, we experience a consequence on earth that lasts longer than the approval that was given. Whether it's the discipline of God, whether it's just a guilt and a shame conscience, Whatever it is, the, re the rejection we feel is much more big than the approval that we feel. Now, the worst scenario is for those of you who are not in Christ, and you say, think about this. There are some of you here, you're watching online, you say, I can't follow Jesus or choose the way of Jesus because that will mean disapproval from my parents. Or that will go against my traditions. Or my friends will think I'm a dummy. They'll make fun of me. And so... In light of that, these are your reasons to say, I'm gonna let, if I choose to follow Jesus, I'm gonna let somebody down. And what you're doing, though, is choosing short-term approval, but for the sake of long-term rejection. And that your parents will approve of you for 80 years, but then God will reject you for eternity because you chose not to trust him. Now, God loves you. God wants to accept you into his kingdom, but the only way to get to heaven is to believe and trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the gospel. Our sin has separated us from God. We need a savior. God has sent us a savior in Jesus, and if we believe and trust in him, we will be saved. But if we reject God for the sake of men's approval now, then what we get in return is God's rejection forever. That doesn't seem like a good deal. That doesn't seem like very worth it. 
for my parents to like me for 40 years and God's wrath to be on me for eternity. That seems like a bad deal. Faith allows me to see the destination. So the path doesn't trick me. Because if I'm making decisions based off next steps, well, approval sounds nice. But if I'm making decisions based off next steps, rejection sounds awful. I want my friends to like me. I want my parents to approve of me. But if I see the destination, then I make a totally different decision. You see how that works? So that's what they were doing. This is Moses' parents. If I'm gonna obey man or God, and think more, I think peer pressure would be the more obedience thing that we face. I mean, sometimes you face a, uh, a rule from the government or whatever that seems to disobey God. But for the most of your daily experience is peer pressure. Am I gonna listen to men, do what men say, to fit in or whatever, or I'm gonna obey the way of God? And this allows you to make the right decision. So now you get to Moses. So when you got Moses' parents, they choose to be rejected for a short time for approval for a long time. Now, Moses himself, it says, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So what's the fork in the road now? And this is probably the most prominent fork in the road of your everyday life. The fork in the road is either the pleasures of sin or the pleasures of God. And every day you are making decisions, and I am making decisions, we are making decisions to either enjoy the pleasures of sin or the pleasures of God. This is the most prominent and practical fork in the road that you experience every hour of your life. Am I going to enjoy the pleasures of sin or the pleasures of God? Now, most of us know as well that the majority of our regrets in life come from decisions we made about pleasure. Just think about it. Most of the things you look back and you regret, a lot of them, most of them, come from decisions you made about pleasure. Things you made to get something for yourself, to have your way, to enjoy a certain thing, and that ended up biting you on the back end. And we regret it now, and it was a pleasure decision. I mean, most of our temptations tug at the desire for pleasure. Most of Satan's attacks are at your pleasure. It's, it's trying to convince you to be happy or to enjoy life in ways you should not. And this is happening every day in our life. Now, Moses can relate. Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. Remember, so he's the baby in the basket. They put him in the river. Pharaoh's daughter picks him up, and she basically adopts him and raises him in Pharaoh's house. So even though he's an Israelite and should be a slave, he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter and gets treated as a prince. So now he's in Pharaoh's house, which is the biggest, baddest nation. He has access to all the pleasures and comforts the world could provide. He had every right to stay in that position and was not forced at all to change. However, when he saw God's people and knew that he was one of them, and he had a different perspective based off who God told him, based off what God had said, he had a different perspective based off who God was, it allowed him the power to leave the comforts of Pharaoh's house to go wander around and struggle and be a shepherd. See, the story of Moses' life is that he eventually identifies with the Israelites, with the slaves, so much so that when one of them is getting mistreated, he kills the Egyptian. After he kills the Egyptian, he flees, and he ends up wandering away for 40 years. He's in the wilderness, and he's a shepherd. Being a shepherd is not as glamorous as a prince. And so he could have stayed as a prince. He decided to be a shepherd. And the Bible says this. And then eventually, obviously, he comes back, the 10 plagues and all. You know, he's, he's God's man to deliver the people from slavery. The Bible says he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the 
passing pleasures of sin. That, I want that phrase to like be seared into your brain. The passing pleasures of sin. That every pleasure sin ever affords to you is passing and fleeting. It's like eating cotton candy. It tastes good for a second and it does nothing for your body. And trying to live off cotton candy would kill you. And trying to live off sin will also kill you. It don't work. And this is what Moses does. Moses sees that the pleasures Egypt could provide for him are temporary, but the reward of God is eternal. And so at the fork in the road, Moses recognizes, what's the choice now? The choice is between a short time of pain and suffering followed by a long time of of pleasure or a short time of pleasure, an empty pleasure at that, followed by a long time of pain. And so when the pleasure decision comes up, faith allows you to see the destination as opposed to the path. And it allows me to make the right choice. Because if I don't see it, I will always choose the immediate gratification, the pleasure that's in front of me now, if I'm not aware of the consequences it will bring to me later. Now once again, this has eternal and temporary ramifications. If you choose to say, I can't follow Jesus because I wanna have fun, I want to enjoy the world. I want to sleep with who I want to sleep with. I want to do whatever I want to do with my money. I want to live my own life. I want to be God of my life. And I like, I don't want any rules on my life. You say, okay, that's what you want to do. Now, I put the phrase empty because it is empty pleasure. It's not even real pleasure. It's empty pleasure. But what faith tells you is that if you choose to reject God for the sake of having fun on earth, the consequence of that is an eternity of pain apart from God suffering under his wrath. That doesn't seem like a very good decision to me, just logically. But if you choose to say, I'm gonna give up something now and suffer some pain, but I know that the destination is an eternity of pleasure, that seems like a pretty good deal. And so instead of making a decision based off the path, because if I made a decision based off the path, I would always choose pleasure. But if I make a decision based off the destination, I'm always gonna take the path of pain that gets me to the path of pleasure. And it's going to change the decisions that I make in my life. I think about this a lot with people like, uh, like Kobe Bryant. Now listen, I don't know if Kobe was a Christian or not. I never talked to him, never had a conversation. So I'm not making any assessments of a man's life. But I do consider, it always strikes me very much to be like, man, I think he was 41 when he died. And you just sit there and think, he accomplished all these things and it literally doesn't matter. What does it matter to him now? Zero. It's a zero sum. All the championships, all the accolades, all the approval, all the pleasure, it gets cut off even quicker than he ever thought it would. And I don't know, prayerfully at the last second, maybe maybe he was a Christian. Praise the Lord, that would be great. But I don't know. And so think about how many examples there are to say all that pleasure to, for an eternity of pain is a really bad, bad deal. And so I want you to think about it this way because it'd be like <clears throat> if I told you I, I, you had to give me a dollar and I would give you a hundred dollars. And would you say to me, I don't know if I can give up that dollar. I love that dollar so much. I can buy, I can't even go to McDonald's actually. I, I don't know what you can buy with a dollar anymore. <laughs> and, uh, 
No, you'd be like, that's ridiculous. You told me to give a dollar, and I, you'll give me $100? You'd throw that dollar at me as fast as you could, you know? Give me the $100. Now, this is how we need to think about it. I, I, want, you to, uh, I want you to write this down. The power to refuse comes from the power to receive. I'm going to refuse what this dollar can do for me because I'm going to love what the $100 can do for me. Here's the phrase you need to tell yourself a lot. I'm not giving up anything. I'm getting everything. I'm not giving up anything. Anything. I'm getting everything. There's this weird lie that comes into our head, even to say, like, you need to do the right thing. You need to make the decision because it's the right thing to do which it may be the right thing to do, but that's not the motivation the Bible gives you. The Bible says if you choose God's way, there's an eternity of reward. You're never supposed to do anything just because it's the right thing to do out of your discipline and power. No, you're supposed to see God, his love for you, his generosity to you, his desire to bless you and say, hey, look, I'll give you a dollar because God's going to give me a hundred. I'll let go of this earthly pleasure because God's got an eternity of happiness for me. And it makes it easy to say, instead of saying, well, this is what we do all the time. Woe is me. I can't have what I want. Following Jesus is so hard. Yada, yada, yada. I have to live by his way. I want to live by my way. And we get into the pity party to say, well, you can't do this, you can't do this. So, what was me? What was me? What was me? And then you try to pull yourself up to say, I just need to do the right thing. I just need to do the right thing. Man, that's straight from the devil. No, 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 no. It should be, I'm happy to give the world my dollar because I'm going to get a hundred back from God. I'm happy to wait and not be sexually immoral because God's more satisfying. I'm happy to be generous and give my money away than to pursue greed and grow materialism because God's going to return to me more than I ever gave up on earth. You need to have this mindset. You need to think this way. Too many of you are trying to do the right thing. And God's like, get rid of that talk. Get a reward. Pursue your pleasure. But your pleasure is most satisfied in God, and it's most satisfied eternally instead of temporarily. It's just a better pleasure. You're trying to say, well, I should do the right thing. I know something. And it's a little bit of pleasure, but I know it's, you know. No, no, no. You need the idea from God, the truth from God, that following him feels better than any pleasure the world could give you, especially over the long term. So Moses does this. Look at Moses. He, it look, I love this phrase. He was looking to the reward. There's this interview with Tom Brady that I, I, I read once, and I'm not a Tom Brady fan, by the way, but I'm just using it as an example. There's an interview with Tom Brady, and they asked him if he misses all the things he gave up to be so good. So bad, eating bad food, late night parties. He's like known for his regimen. I mean, he just eats what you're supposed to eat. He never went out and party. He didn't go out and party with the boys too much. Like he was laser focused on being the best football player he could be. And they asked him, do you ever miss the things you gave up? And his answer was no, because I always knew what I was getting on the other end. I thought, wow, what was he getting? Championships, a legacy, worldly goods? How much, a hundred times more, should Christians have that same language? Are you missing out on the things you sacrifice now for God? No, because of what you're getting on the other side. Are you, are you missing out on the things your friends are enjoying? No, because you're getting something more on the other side. We ought to have that mindset all the time to say, I'm not giving up anything, but I'm getting everything. There's no such thing as a sacrifice in the kingdom of God. There's no such thing as you giving God more than he'll ever give you. That doesn't exist. 
God will not be outgiven. And God is loving God who loves to bless. And so this is how you consider pleasure in your life. I'm telling you, this is the, this is the fork in the road of most of your decisions. And if you can see the destination, you're gonna make the right path. The power to refuse comes from the power to receive. Now look at what it says. Not only was he looking to the reward, but it says that he, was, he, he saw the reproach of Christ, so suffering with Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And here's a phrase for you. Better to suffer with God than to succeed without him. Better, it's better to suffer with God than to succeed without him. Now, obviously, it's a play on words. We know there's no real success without God. But you know what I mean, earthly success, earthly enjoyment, earthly things. Better to suffer with God. So he's not saying that, oh, it always like works out great right now or feels great or whatever. No, he's saying, I choose the reproach of Christ. I choose to suffer with Christ. I choose to be mistreated with God's people. Why? Well, because I know my reward will be great. So better to suffer with God now than to succeed without him. Faith helps us to see the destination, that the pleasures of sin are passing, but the reward of God is never ending. And then you make your decision every day. Which one will you choose? And faith is going to point you in the right decision, right way. The third one, Israel crossing the Red Sea on dry land. So this is the third example. Remember, we're just hitting the examples. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Here, what's the fork in the road here? Well, the fork in the road, I think, to simply say it is to go on or to give up. That's a fork in the road of our lives a lot. Should I go on? Should I give up? It is especially true as you're trying to follow Jesus and things get hard, you know? Should I go on or should I give up? So the story is they, they were fleeing out of Egypt. They're running away from their slavery. Moses has delivered them by the hand of God. And they end up stuck between a, the big Red Sea and the Egyptian army behind them. And uh, they had two choices. They could either surrender, go up, go back, or they could try to press on and ask God for a miracle, see what God would do, stand their ground. So they could choose between moving forward in spite of the difficulty or going backwards because it's easy. How often is that a choice in our lives? So I can move forward and it'll be very difficult, or I can go backwards and it'll be easy. It'll feel easy at least. And they chose to continue to move forward because what does faith do? This is very important. Faith recognizes that the choice is between a short-term problem followed by a long-term solution or a short-term problem followed by a long, I mean a short-term solution followed by a long-term problem. The solution to maybe, uh, let's say here in the Egyptian, they could, they could give up, surrender, not die, probably be sent back into slavery where at least they had food and stuff that they needed every day. The problem would be, that, that would be a short-term fix. The problem would be a long-term, they'd be slaves again forever, for a long time. Or the short-term problem is they can stand their ground, keep their face and their eyes towards the way forward, even though a big C was in front of them, and trust God to provide a solution. Now, what happens often in our life is that the things that look like dead ends end up being the way forward if we just would have stuck with it. And the things that look like a way out ended up being a way to nowhere. Because here's the thing you need to understand, it's a short phrase for you, is that faith doesn't look for a quick fix. Faith doesn't look for a quick fix. Faith doesn't look for a quick fix. Faith understands the long-term results that are coming, so it doesn't look for a quick fix. 
And how many problems do we face in life because of our desire for a quick fix? How many issues do we not deal with because of our desire for a quick fix? How, how many decisions do we make that end up having long-term consequences because they had short-term results? And faith allows you the spiritual benefit of seeing beyond the short-term results to the long-term problems and seeing beyond the short-term problem to the long-term results. Let me give you some practical examples. So in your life, let's say, uh, you have a relational issue. A short-term solution is to avoid working it out because it's too awkward to have the conversation. And so your solution is to back out. The conversation's too difficult or you're too bitter, too angry. And so you don't, you don't deal with the conflict. Stick your head in the sand, pretend like it's not a thing. This creates long-term division in your relationships. The other side is you have a problem and you decide to face it. There's a relational conflict, and in humility, you have a conversation. It may be awkward. You may have to confess your own sin. It may be difficult. But facing the problem has healed the relationship and created a long-term solution. And faith gives you the benefit of seeing that if I face the problem now, oftentimes, and always in the kingdom world, as I face the problem that God wants me to face, it will be the path to the solution. But if I go for a quick fix to get around the problem, it's just gonna return to me a longer problem. Faith doesn't look for a quick fix. At the fork in the road between going on and giving up, to say it's a short-term solution to stop trying to follow God so hard and try to go back to enjoying some of my worldly comforts. That actually leads to a long-term problem of disconnection in your experience with God, lack of assurance of salvation, all these different things that come from that. The short-term problem is, man, this is really hard. I don't know how I'm gonna do it anymore. I wake up, his mercies are new every day. His mercies are new every day. I'm gonna get the mercy I need for today and I'm gonna face my problems. And I'm gonna hang on, I'm gonna keep trusting God and that's gonna lead towards a long-term solution, a life well-lived, well done, good and faithful servant. So faith allows you to see the destination. Faith doesn't look for a quick fix. Okay, Jericho. We got two more. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. What's the fork in the road here? The fork in the road here is between the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God. The wisdom of men or the wisdom of God. So now the Israelites, this is way beyond Egypt. <clears throat> they're free. Uh, they're, they're going to enter into the promised land. God has sent them a particular direction. They end up at a place called Jericho, which had a huge wall around it. And the military strategy that God gave them was not to put their biggest and strongest and just knock the wall down. He put the band out front, the worship leaders, with trumpets, and he told everybody to be quiet and to walk around the wall. Imagine, it looked like a kindergarten line, everybody doing this, just walking around the wall, you know, just like with a little rope between them, every hands up, hands up. Can you, I mean, remember these people are human. Imagine how dumb you would feel. Just like, is this real? Like, they're like whispering to each other, like, shh, shh. Is this, you think this is going to work? What's happening right now? Like, imagine the people from the town, three days in, the people in Jericho are starting to think this is kind of funny. They're less scared, and they're more like, what are these people doing, you know? Did they drink something weird? They lost their minds. They just look foolish. They look absolutely foolish. The directions of God looked foolish to men. But they were actually the very means by which the power of God would come and be displayed. And when they were willing to operate within the foolishness of men... According to the wisdom of God, it got God results. 
but they had to endure looking foolish for a time to see the long-term results of a victory. So this is what it looks. The decision, when you're doing the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God, the world's way or our way, or God's way, it would look like this to say, that's the decision, the fork in the road. Faith recognizes the choice is a decision between choosing to look foolish for a short time and that revealed as wise for eternity or choosing to look wise for a short time and that being revealed as foolish for eternity. That's the decision about pleasing men. Do I live by the wisdom of God or the wisdom of man? Because oftentimes following the way of God will get you ridiculed, it'll get you slandered, and it'll make you look foolish in the eyes of men. What kind of person can maintain that kind of beating, that kind of reputation, so that they can make it to the end? Because if you're looking at the decisions you can make, and I can choose a path that the world says, well, that's a great idea. They clap you and say, woo, good job. And the world says, that's wise. Follow your heart would be an example. You know, follow your heart, which is absolutely the worst advice ever, ever said. That's like the devil's favorite phrase. Follow your heart. Yes, you can lead to your own destruction. Good job. Don't do that, okay? Don't follow your heart. When has that worked out good for you? I mean, I just don't know. Has anybody led testimony after 80 years of life? I just following my heart, just nailed it every time, you know? I think nobody even says that. You don't even need to be a Christian to realize that. This is bad. This doesn't work out. So, anyways. So you choose to say, it looks wise now, but it's going to prove to be eternally foolish. But the way of God to pursue a certain view of life, to live a certain way and other people ridicule that, to choose not to do this for the sake of doing this, to be a person of prayer, to be a person who reads the scriptures, to be a person who believes in God. This appears foolish to the world, but over time, it's going to look like eternally wise. This is the ultimate thing of judgment day. The Bible says that all those who trust in the Lord will not be put to shame, which means that eventually it will be revealed as the wisest of all choices to trust the Lord. So judgment day is where this revelation happens, where everyone who thought they were wise, they appear to be eternally foolish, and everyone who was ridiculed as foolish appears to be eternally wise. And the people who decided to trust God are the ones who maintained 40, 50, 60, 80 years of foolishness for the sake of an eternity of wisdom. And the people who did not choose to trust God chose 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of appearing to be wise for the sake of an eternity of foolishness. And faith allows you to see the destination. That's why Psalm 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. Because they're not viewing. This is the fool, not here. He's a fool. He's revealed by that through eternity. And every single person will recognize their own foolishness. And the Bible's calling you today not to be a fool, but to be wise and to put your trust in Jesus. Not to be a fool and listen to what others think. Here's a phrase for you on this. is that faith favors what God thinks over others. Faith favors what God thinks as opposed to what men think. And faith chooses the way of God even and especially when it seems foolish. When do you need faith the most? Is when everybody else thinks you're an idiot. That's when you really need it. And you need to have the perspective of the destination, not the path. Okay, here's the last one. And I'll close this up. We can have the band come up. We're gonna do this last one. Okay, Rahab, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who are disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
What's the fork in the road here? The fork in the road is stubbornness or repentance. This is a really big one. The fork in the road is to continue in my old ways or to start a new path. The fork in the road is to trust myself and those around me to affirm my own decisions or to trust God and to recognize my faults and sins to repent and turn away from them. Stubbornness or repentance. Rahab was living an ungodly life amidst an ungodly people. I love this fact of the Bible. The Bible always calls her Rahab the prostitute. And you think, that doesn't sound very nice. Like, can't we just, seem like we should just let that part go and just be like, she was Rahab. And be like, why do you keep calling me Rahab the prostitute? You know, it wasn't the whole point. I'm a new creation. You bring it back to me, my old self. Be like, wow, she has to forever be known in the Bible as Rahab the prostitute. Well, <clears throat> I'm sure she doesn't mind that now because she's with God. Here's the point. Why does the Bible do that? Because the Bible is trying to make it clear and plain that even Rahab the prostitute can receive the grace of God. That's the biggest deal. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, look at her living an ungodly life in the midst of an ungodly people. Her entire life being sin unto God, in absolute rebellion to God and his ways, living as a fool. But in one moment of time, Joshua 2.11 says, she tells them when the spies come in, she says, the Lord your God, he is God in heaven and on the earth beneath. She confesses with her mouth that Jesus is Lord. And this radically changes her life. She chooses repentance instead of stubbornness. She chooses a new way instead of her old ways. And that same choice is available to any of you today. So what is the final fork in the road here? It's a short time of repentance, recognizing I'm having to say and recognize that I am not God. I have sinned against the Lord. My way is not just bad, it's evil, and it deserves an eternity of wrath and punishment from God. I have to come to that place where I'm able to see that, believe it, say it, and own it. And that's painful. But a short time of repentance gives you an eternity of reward. But the bad part for some of you is a short time of stubbornness. I want things my way. There's no way I'm that bad. How could a loving God send people to hell? I don't deserve that just stubbornness. I want things my way. I'll live in my way. My standards are the right standards. God's standards are not. You're just stubborn, stubborn and stubborn. You say, I'm going to have things my way. And you know, the great C.S. Lewis said, eventually God says, okay, have it your way. And that ends in eternal ruin. If I choose to continue in my old ways, oh, my life will forever be going backwards all the way into eternity. And instead of repenting and having Jesus cover my sins, my stubbornness will force me to pay for my sins myself. And 60 years of having it my own way will lead to an eternity of wishing it was a different way. But 60 years of saying my way is terrible, but I trust in the way of God will lead me to an eternity of enjoying that way. And God is making that available to all of you this morning. The cool thing about Rahab the prostitute is not only did she have to choose God, I want you to see there was no middle ground. The fight was going to happen, she had to choose. Is it their God or mine? 
There's no middle ground. You can't just stay ho-hum, sort of, kind of there. Maybe one foot over here. That doesn't exist. You have to choose the way of God or the opposition to God. You have to choose a side. And there are people in the room who need to choose a side. But I want to give you the affirmation that was given to Rahab that if you choose to step towards God, God will happily receive you right where you're at. He didn't tell Rahab the prostitute, I want to see five years of no prostituting before I come and give you a chance. I want to see you get it right. No, 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 no. In the midst of her ungodly life, surrounded by ungodly people, Rahab recognizes that her way is not the way. She repents and she turns to God. And God, without hesitation, welcomes her into his people. little phrase to encourage you this morning is that you may be a mess but you can make some progress if you'll step towards God it's the whole point of the gospel God is the one who fixes us changes us and gives us a new life and so if that's you this morning I plead with you to turn to God because if there's grace for Rahab the prostitute and if there's grace and mercy for me I know my own sins then there's grace and mercy for you that's bought for you by the cross let me pray, and I want you to respond to God now. If you're here today and you say, that's me, I, I need to choose repentance over stubbornness. I need to choose the wisdom of the way of God over the wisdom of my own way. I need to turn towards God this morning. I want you to do that there in your seat. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart that God was raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, you will be saved. You don't have to leave from here and get your life right. You just have to repent and trust in Christ. You can do that sitting in your seat. You can come pray down front if you would like to do that. You can fill out a connect card on your way out. Find a way to turn to God. And to those of you who do know the Lord, I want you to consider the forks in the road of your life. And I want you to consider the perspective of faith. And the path you need to take should not be considered by the path, but by the destination. And I want you to ask the Lord what that might mean for your life today. So I'm going to pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you so much for the gospel, Lord, that even though we're a hot mess, we can make progress because of your grace and your mercy towards us. Lord, I pray for all of those, including myself, who regret decisions we made at Forks in the Road. We thank you for your mercy and your grace towards, those, towards us. I pray that they would know the comfort of your love, that your power to turn all things for good. I pray now that you would give us wisdom moving forward. I pray that faith would come on this morning as binoculars to our soul, that it would allow us to see the destination and that we would begin to make godly decisions and that you would fill this room and every person here and watching online with faith. We ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, why don't you stand, let's respond to the Lord.